This morning, um, we're going to look at James chapter 1, and uh, starting at verse 2 and uh, going down through 18 is a passage we'll read. Um, and so two weeks ago, or last week, I gave the introduction to the whole book, and, and so now we're tearing into it. And uh, this, this is a text that is a challenge. In fact, um, it's a challenge because it is so practical, and it, it tells us to do some things that are very challenging. And I, I think maybe one of the most challenging things in all of James gets us in verse 2. And so, um, here we go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who's, who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, the person, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of the truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Father God, we just ask, Lord, this morning that you would take this word, your word, of James, and speak it into our lives this morning. Amen. Warren Wiersbe um, said, we are God's scattered people, not God's sheltered people. Now, this morning in my devotional reading, I came across Psalm 18, I think it was verse 30, and it talks about the, that we will find um, you know, God to be a refuge um, and an armor, uh, a shield for those who find a refuge in him. So he's not saying that, um, that um, God doesn't become a refuge and a source for us, but what he's saying there is that God does not shield us from trials and trouble and tribulation and all of that. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that somehow our life is going to be easier than anyone else's life. 
James is writing to Jews who had become Christians and now were being persecuted. And because of that, they had to flee and leave everything and go to somewhere else. And so they were God's scattered people around. Not a difficult time in their lives. A very difficult time indeed. So he's writing to these Jews who were being persecuted. As a result, they were uh, leaving, they were fleeing to new places. Um, and these trials and these troubles, they just seemed to follow them. And, and there was always persecution in the early days of Acts. As these Jews got saved and became Christians, um, the other Jews rejected them and persecuted them uh, for it. So I want to say this. You can run, but you can't hide from trouble. And that is true of you and I as Christians as well as anyone else. Um, we can't hide from trouble or trials or temptations. In fact, James says, we all face trials of many and diverse kinds. Now, James does not appear to care one iota where those trials come from or why we experience them. He doesn't dwell on that. He doesn't even talk about that. He doesn't address that. He just is only concerned about when they come, how you and I respond to them. That is James's concern. He wants us to use every trial and every hardship proactively to choose to use it to make us better. That's what God wants us to do. That's what James tells, instructs these Jewish believers. He says, use the, your troubles for good. Be proactive in that. Now, you have heard in the political arena, people say, that you should never let a a crisis go to waste. James says something very similar about trials and troubles. He says, do not let them go to waste. Use them for good in your life. Even bad things that happen to you, you need to choose to use those things for good in your life. Even others may intend them for harm. Others may intend them for bad you need to choose to use them for good. So, before we go there, I also want to say this. Um, we would love for everything in life to be fair. <laughs> we want trouble and trials and temptations um, to just be gone from our life. But the fact is, the only thing fair about life is that troubles come to all people. There are people that you and I look at and we think, well, they live a trouble-free life. Only if we were in their shoes and saw the troubles that they deal with. Everyone has troubles. That's the fairness in life, that we all have troubles. Some of us, they're just not as visible as other people and the problems that they have. Now, some, some trials come because we are human. Um, we live in a fallen world full of sin. Some trials come because we are Christians and Satan wants to kill and steal and destroy. And it's his work. Some trials come because we make errors in judgment and behavior. And as a result of that, we face trials and trouble. James says that there are four things that you and I should do when we face trials. 
The first thing he says is count. That is a financial accounting term in the Greek. It is a, it's, a, it's a word that means to consider, to evaluate, to judge something. And so James is basically saying, judge this or evaluate your trial with joy. Try to find the good spot in the trial through which you are going through. We are to evaluate or place a high value on the trials that come our way. Um, there needs to be a joyful perspective um, about them so that we can actually take some of the things that we, you know, we have the bad column and the good column, and, and we want to you know, put things here or put things there. And he says some of the things that we naturally lump in the loss column, we need to take our minds and wrap around them and move them over to the plus column and say, no, this is a positive. There is something that God has that he can use this for good in my life. And so count it for joy. For sure. This verse is the kind of verse that you like to throw at someone else. You never like to have anyone tell you this verse. <laughs> None of us like that. Um, it's kind of like putting salt on an open wound. We prefer our comfortable lives with remote start vehicles, backup cameras, temperature settings on each side of the bed, and all kinds of options in regard to what we're going to eat tonight. But sometimes you and I need to come back to earth. Sometimes you and I need to come back to the real world. And we need to remember that there are people out there that their biggest struggle in life is they don't know, they're dying of thirst, and they can't find any water that isn't full of cholera. And there are people out there that haven't seen food for two, three days, and they don't know if they will ever see food before they die. There are people out there without shelter or medical care, and there are those who are at the end of their rope with perpetual crisis or trauma or death or addiction or danger or loneliness or whatever it might be. And sometimes, just in terms of your trials and my trials, we need to back up and we need to put our trials in perspective of life and what other people are going through. And sometimes our trials aren't near as bad as we make them out to be. Now, every one of us counts. Every one of us evaluates and judges things that happen to us. And we look at every circumstance that we go through and we, we evaluate it and we say, well, this is good or that's not good, that kind of thing. And um, sometimes we evaluate without even thinking about it. We just put things in the gain or the loss column and that's over with and we haven't even thought about it. Other times we maul things over for a long time and we can't get them out of our heads and we lay awake at night um, dwelling on them and thinking about them. And here's the thing. Every single one of us have certain programmed ways that we deal with troubles and trials and difficulties. 
And every one of us, just because God wired us certain ways and then we grew up in certain families with certain traditions and ways of handling things, we all deal with things and we all think that our way of dealing with something is the best way. Because it's our way. And that's pride and that's arrogance of thinking that my way of dealing with the trouble is always the right way. And we tend to do that as Christians, and we can sanctify an improper response to trouble and trial. Some of us tend to deny trouble and pretend it doesn't exist. Some of us just play the blame game, and we just blame everyone else around us, and we never take responsibility ourselves. Some of us are mopers. And we just mope our way through life. And every time something bad comes, we just have a pity party. Other people play the victim. That's their natural response. Other people just go into escape mode. And they're just trying to run from anything bad in their life. And then there's people who just are into enduring, quietly suffering, you know, just being Job and just going through life. And they're just enduring. And you have your own distinct way that because of your family and because of the way God designed and and shaped you and all of your experiences in life, you respond to trouble in a certain way. I want to suggest to you this morning that one of the things that James is saying to us is that when we face trials and troubles and tribulations and difficulties, that one of the things God wants us to do is back away from our natural tendency and the natural way that we respond and ask him if he has a better way of responding. Because I have a tendency. There's a certain way that I respond to trouble. But is it the best way? Just because I think it is and because it's my way doesn't make it the best way to respond. And so sometimes trouble comes in my life and I need to back off and say, okay, I'm in the habit of just enduring this. But is that the best way? Or I'm in the habit with my life of just blaming someone else. But is that really the best way? Does God want to grow me up and mature me and help me to see that there's a different way of responding to the trouble that comes into my life? So James is saying that we need to take control, that we need to be proactive of the process. We need to avoid our natural ruts and our tendencies, and we need to choose to count trials in a positive light with joy because it is an opportunity for us to stretch ourselves and respond to life in a different way than what we normally respond to. And so that requires a new attitude a new mindset that takes control of our emotions and our, our just our natural response to the way we deal with problems. So the first word is this. Count. Evaluate the trouble. Evaluate your response. Evaluate your attitude towards it. The second word is, is no. What is there that you should know about the trouble that you are experiencing? Now, James admits what we often feel guilty about, and that is that the trials we face often result in the testing of our faith. What do I mean by that? Okay, 
I, I'm, I'm just dealing with a trouble that has nothing to do spiritually. It's just trouble that I'm having. I'm sick or, or something comes and, and I have this problem in my life. It, it doesn't have any bearing in my relationship with God at all. But because I'm suffering this, I have a tendency to take it and turn it into a trial of my faith. Any of you ever do that? If, you know, God must not like me anymore. Or I, you know, and I start to turn or I maybe get so far into my trouble and my trial that I just start to give up on my faith in God. And James says the natural tendency for us is when we are in trouble to turn it into a trial of our faith. And oftentimes that makes no sense at all. But the fact is, that is something that we tend to do. We tend to take our troubles and turn them into a trial of our faith. And James is wanting to say to us that God sends us troubles sometimes or allows us to experience troubles sometimes so that we can get past that, so that we can experience difficulty without taking it out on God, without losing our faith in God and what he is doing in your life and in my life. See, sometimes when we have troubles, we want to run away from God who wants to be there for us in the midst of our trouble. So James says there are two things that we need to know about trials in this passage. First is this. An untested faith is a gutless, an immature faith. Now, I've been at the Wellness Center and um, this, this poor man can't even do a chin-up. <laughs> I cannot do one single chin-up. And, of course, I'm there, and there's all these other people that can do everything and anything, you know. And, I, you know, I just watch them and applaud them and are <laughs> gone. And I do what I can do. But I've been working at it, and I've been doing little bit by little bit. And you know what? I can just about pull myself up to here now. <laughs> can't go all the way to my chin, but I can get it about here, and then I lose it. And I don't have very pretty form at all. But you know what? If I hadn't been working on it, I would not be able to get to here. Because an untested faith is a gutless and immature faith. If you don't ever use your muscles... You are never going to be able to do anything. And so when you face troubles and trials, it is what equips you and makes you strong so that you can handle other things that come your way. So that's the first thing. An untested faith is a gutless and immature faith. And James says you have to go through trials so that you become strong. Secondly, he says a tested faith produces perseverance. It, it helps you endure and stand up in things. And he says, perseverance makes you mature and complete Christians who are fully equipped. So the longer you endure and persevere in situations, you, that helps you become mature Christians. Now there are things that you can handle today that you could not have handled a few years ago simply because of the things you've gone through in the last couple years. The same thing is true with troubles. 
the trials and the troubles you go through today are going to make it easy for you tomorrow to deal with something that you couldn't handle today. And so you need to change your mindset about troubles and trials. And that's easier for me to say than to do, of course. (laughs) And it's easier for you to do, uh, to say it than it is to do it. But maturity and completeness as a Christian is not the only reward for hanging in there in troubles. James says that we will receive a crown of life when we have stood the testing of our faith. That's the ultimate reward. When we endure trouble and hardship and all of that, and we get through it, we come through on the other side, we will receive the crown of faith. If we just give up and just give up on God and give up on everything around us, Pretty soon, there's no crown of life for us. And so that's, that's the other thing that he reminds us there. Now, if you go to verses 9 through 11, James speaks there of um, people who undergo numerous trials and testings. And he talks about this group that are of high position. They are people of influence and power and resources and all of this. And then... And it speaks also of people who don't have position, of low position or humble position. Um, They don't have resources or power or any of that. And he says that untested people continue to be immature. They just don't improve. They become incomplete and impatient. And what they have, um, you know, because they've, They've already got everything, and they haven't been tested or tried and all of that. It's all going to disappear. James says, the rich person, it's all going to disappear one day, and that's all they have. But he said, a person in humble circumstances, and he's not just talking about, he's not just talking about money there. He's talking about being rich in faith. He's talking about a person that has gone through troubles and survived and endured and kept the faith. He said that kind of person becomes mature and complete. There is something at the end of life for them. They will have an eternal reward, a crown of life that is promised to them. So the first word is count. Change your perspective on the trouble. The second word is no. There's some things that we need to understand about troubles. The third word is let. The third word is a word that gives permission to God. James says, let perseverance work in you. So what does that mean? It it, it means that um, we are to give God permission to use the trial to work in our life. Now, we don't stop and think about that very often when you and I face a trial because we are so overwhelmed with the trial or with the trouble or all of that that we never stop to actually pray and say, God, I'm facing another trouble. I'm facing a trial here. I don't know what's going to happen at the end of this journey, but I want to give you permission to work through whatever I go through to change me. Let perseverance work in you. And so this word let is all about surrendering our lives to God, 
in the midst of whether our life is going good or whether our life is not going good. James says it doesn't matter what happens to you. It matters what you do with what happens to you. He says, let God work in you. Invite him in the, you know, in the worst season of your life. Invite God to continue his good and perfect work in you. Because God has a work, whether you're going through good times or bad times, God has a plan for your life. And he loves you. And he wants what is best for you. And he wants you to become mature. And he wants you to become complete. And he wants you to become the great Christian that he designed you to be. I want to say this as clearly as I can. God does not build our character without our cooperation and permission. As long as we don't give him permission, as long as we don't let God, we don't really grow and we don't really mature. And so sometimes in the worst times of life, we have to just say, God, I'm yours in this. And I commit my way to you and I allow you to change and mold and shape me. The fourth word is this. Ask. So there's count. There is, second word, no, and let, and ask. The fourth word is ask. Ask God, trust God for wisdom in knowing um, how to deal with the trial or the trouble in your life. And that is because every one of us, again, as I said before, we have our own um, ways of dealing with trouble that are all stained with inbred sin. And we need the Spirit of God to direct us and lead us out of our natural tendency in how we relate to problems. And we need to come back and let the Spirit of God guide and direct us in dealing with those things. In trials, you and I need to trust in the fundamental goodness of God. When the worst thing that you can imagine happens in your life, do you trust that God is good all the time? And I want to say to you, God is good all the time. Through good, through bad, through any experience you have in life, God is good all the time. In trials, we need to trust in the fundamental goodness of God and that God has wisdom for us in those times. God loves to give wisdom. He says, if you will ask, he will give it. We are to believe without doubting in the goodness of God. When we doubt, we become unstable. We become more easily influenced by outside influences that are not God. When you and I begin to doubt that God is good, we begin to search and look and listen to anything else that will tell us how to deal with this or that or something else. Instead of running to God, that's how come we can't doubt. We have to believe and trust and ask God for wisdom in the situations that we are going through. Satan got Eve. 
to start doubting God in order for her and Adam to sin. But God's ways are always the best ways for us. Now, one of the other things that James says in this wonderful passage is that you and I, and we have to understand this, this is so important. You and I are more easily susceptible, I can't say the word, but you know what I meant. Um, (laughs) It is easy for us to cave into temptation when we are under extra stress of trials and trouble. That is when you are, you and I are most prone to temptation. Um, and, and so we need to be aware of that. Because in trials and troubles, we are tempted to think that God doesn't care about us anymore. When we undergo those trials. And so we begin to devise other plans and other ways around them to make our lives comfortable. Secondly, sometimes we are tempted to refuse any responsibility whatsoever for our actions. Um, So that's one thing we can do. Sometimes we say stupid, really stupid things like the devil made me do it. Because we don't want to take any responsibility for our lives and for our actions and for the temptation that we accepted when our life was hard. Or James says it this way. James says that some people say, God is tempting me. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I had to really wrestle. What does that mean? I, ne- I don't hear people saying that. You know what? I do hear people saying that. You know how they say it today? You know how you say it? You know how our culture says it? They say, God made me this way. I can't help it. Ever heard that? Ever heard that come out of your lips? God made me this way. I can't help it. God is tempting me. Same thing. This is God's fault that I caved into this temptation. He just designed me this way and I can't help myself and and off we go. Hmm. We need to be very careful when we are under trouble That is when we are most prone to adopt temptations and cave in to sin. Sometimes we are tempted by others who have chosen to become a stumbling block to us. And Jesus and Paul both warned us not to become stumbling blocks to other people. So be careful about that. Don't become a stumbling block to someone else. But sometimes we are the person that has stumbled because somebody else has become a stumbling block to us. But here's the bottom line. In trouble and trouble, we are easily prone to temptation, and James says that every one of us has to take personal responsibility for our own temptation. We can't blame someone else for that. It is our own evil desires that drags us away and entices us. It comes with us. It's inbred sin. It is our desire that leads us into temptation. Now, how do do we get there? Well, first of all, it starts with emotion. 
Sin often starts with great emotion. Uh, Satan came to Eve and said, look at that apple over there. Look at how beautiful it is and attractive. And wouldn't that be good for you to eat? Starts with emotion and things, you know, you just want to feel good about life. And so you cave it and do something you shouldn't. And then it continues with reason and intellect and deception. And that's where deception starts in. And Satan says, did God really say you could not eat from that tree? Did he really say that? And you start to question what is right and what is wrong. And you become deceived. And James uses the word here. He says, drawn away by your own evil desires. And it's a, it's a fishing term or a hunting term. It has the idea of baiting a trap or a hook. It's deception. You put a worm on a hook so the fish can't see. If you just put the hook in the water, the fish will look at that and say, well, I'm not going to get trapped by that thing. But you deceive the fish by putting a worm on it or you put something else on that hook so that you deceive the fish and trick the fish. Satan does the same thing in our life and other people do those same kind of things in our life. They bait us, they trick us, they deceive us. And intellectually, we began to think that that is the right thing to do. Thirdly, the, you know, you have the emotions and feelings, you have reason, the mind, and then you have the will. Sin continues in the will. And Eve took the apple and she gave it to Adam and they ate together and they disobeyed God. And then, and then James says, and the end result is death because the wages of sin is death. So, when you're dealing with trouble or trials, James says these four things are what you need to do. Number one, count. Stop, back up, evaluate, change your perspective, look at things a different way. Secondly, know. Know that trials result in maturity. I missed the word no up there. Um, trials result in maturity. Thirdly, let. Give God permission to work good things in your life through the hard things you're going through, and then ask. Trust God for wisdom in the particular trouble that you're suffering. 